ready, so come on, baby. Welcome to Popcorn Martini Soup, movie podcast. I'm Jess. And I'm Anna. And we're your hosts, here to hang out. And we always end up talking about movies. Usually over a couple of martinis. Or a warm bowl of soup. And we have something a little bit different in store today. Um, as you might have heard in the last episode, we kind of want to dive into like a hot topic, uh, a hot commodity in the film world. Um, not that, you know, people have not given many, many opinions about A24 mm-hmm. as a film distributor, as a now like creator of all kinds of different content. Yeah. But we've been like self-admitted A24 girlies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so we kind of wanted to dive into it a little bit. What could we possibly cover that's already been covered by so many different people about this company but we we have to i mean we're a film podcast and like we got to talk about a24 so it was inevitable yeah yeah exactly so very excited to dive into this but um yeah movie wise what have you been up to lately have you seen anything i have actually um i finally got to see rice boy sleeps um yeah which I know it was one of your favorites. Yeah, the Real Asian Film Festival was happening here in Toronto, and um, that was their opening night film, and the director, Anthony Shim, was there, and the two leads were there, and it was such a great experience, and I I had such a good time watching it. I can see why it resonated with you so much and like why you connected with it. It's um, it's a really beautiful film, so I'm so glad that I got, to chan- I got the chance to see that. And then also I got to see The Menu with my roommate Paige, which I know that <laughs> is one you're excited about. Yeah. Yeah, it was um, very entertaining. The whole theater, we were like in a in a packed theater for an advanced screening mm. and the whole theater was like laughing and gasping. And I will say if you haven't seen the trailer, go in without watching the trailer mm. because the trailer does give a lot away. But it's it's a wild ride. It's just like you kind of can't go wrong with Ray Fiennes and Anya Taylor-Joy like facing off the way yeah. they do in this movie. And I can see why some people are not going to like it, but I just I thought it was a great time. Uh, what have you seen lately? I went to Real Asian Film Festival as well um, and saw their short film uh, program. It was called Midnight Snacks. I think, yeah, all of them were kind of tipping to the horror genre or were purely horror mm. as well. Um, but all the films, as the program name suggests, is food related. Um, the way, you know, the kind of immigrant experiences obviously really like the way the experiences are told is through food a lot of the times like with rice boy sleeps too and like the connection with food is massive and so i just read it's food they're all female directors and the stories are about a lot of them are about like overcoming trauma or you know um going through it um and so i was like okay immediately on board immediately (laughs) i was like so so into it i had to go see Mm. it um and they're all female leads as well in the films too so it was giving that like i'm insane energy right (laughs) that i'm drawn to so i'm like i gotta watch these and i had a really great time um i often don't get to see short films um at festivals so it was a really interesting experience um and one of my favorite films that they showed um is actually available for free you can find it on instagram um the director and artist name is Kaho Yoshida, um, and she did a film called Tongue, which I really, really loved. It's only like a couple minutes long, um, and they just uh, posted it on uh, Instagram, like the full film. So highly recommend for everyone to check it out. It's so, so good. That sounds awesome. And I definitely want to check out Tongue. I've seen um, just like the illustration style, and it just looks so fun. But also I love that it has that like darker underbelly to yeah. it that sounds really great yeah so that was everything um should we get into talking about a24 let's do it okay all right so i feel like if you are involved in the film world um if you follow film if you are really interested in some of the behind the scenes stuff you have probably heard of a24 before but just to like set the stage a little bit for those of you who aren't totally clear on what A24 is. Um, They started as a film distributor, which basically means that they 
purchase films to then put out into the market. And they have in the last few years, also moved into production where they're uh, actually the ones funding films and putting the money up for directors and filmmakers to be able to get their work made. They have evolved a lot over the years, um, starting as just like sort of a small time distributor and now moving into this like huge name in the film industry. They have branded merch and they have their own like fans. Like it's they've come a long way since yeah. like 2012, I think, which is when they were founded, which is not a long time, really. Like 10 years is not that long for a company to have gained the recognition and, and the, the clout, really. That A24 has. Yeah. Um, so we were really curious about like that evolution and kind of the, the kind of films that they started with um, as a distributor versus where they are now and what kind of stories they're putting out in the world and how they're putting them out there because their marketing is such an interesting part of, you know, how they've made their name and people now like associate themselves as like A24 girlies like mm -hmm. we mentioned in the intro like it's such a fascinating trajectory that we don't see a lot with somebody that is usually so behind the scenes in this way yeah so some of the really early stuff that A24 did they released a sequence of teen movies actually all in 2013 they released Ginger and Rosa Spring Breakers Bling Ring and The Spectacular Now which some of those were actually like quite big I remember mm -hmm. hearing about The Bling Ring and Spring Breakers in particular yeah a lot. And The Spectacular Now, I feel like, was one of those movies that started to launch the careers of Shailene Woodley. And like the bling ring and spring breakers are really on the like intense party, like scandal kind of vibe. Yeah. Um, very like gossip girl. In those moments, you could have put them into like a box of like, we, they put out teen movies because mm. even though like those movies have very different vibes, they all kind of live within that like teen YA space. And so that was really interesting to me that they started like really concentrated in that world in 2013. And then the next year, they kind of take a hard left turn and they put out like Enemy with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. They put out Under the Skin they put out Locke, the like Tom Hardy movie where he's in a car for the entire movie. <laughs> yeah. Just like really different from the teen stuff that they did the year before. Mm -hmm. And that kind of feels like an early exercise in them like finding their identity and mm -hmm. trying to figure out what kind of films they want A24 to stand for. And then they like really sort of take off with that. Yeah, I feel like some of the notable stuff after that that some of some people might recognize from there is like Ex Machina, which I've talked about. Um, there's Room with Brie Larson. That's all like 2015. And then there's like The Witch and The Lobster. But maybe everyone knows like knows them from like Moonlight, obviously from 2016 with the Oscar conversation mm -hmm. around it. Fantastic <laughs> film. I mean, yeah. Conversation. Conversation, air quotes. <laughs> um, yeah. And then so like that really kind of brought a24 in the forefront, but not quite yet as the brand that we know them for um, from these years. Mm -hmm. And then I think it really does come down to after that in 2017, 2018, um, a couple movies there would be like Good Time, Florida Project, Lady Bird, which we'll talk about today, Disaster Artist, Hereditary, Eighth Grade. I mean, you know, if, if you're a film fan and you hear a couple of these, like even that list, I mean, you can see and feel and hear A24 in those movies. And partially, mm -hmm. I think that's because, like, these are the years we really get a sense of the A24 brand through these films. And, like, they're, like, the leaders in curating these kind of brands through the films that they've acquired and really kind of capitalize on the stories that they have bought or um, started kind of producing. The creativity around feeding the internet what with what they, like what the internet wants to hear and see, A24 mm. was just like totally leading that in, in the film world in these years. Um, so I feel like that's when we really start to understand, oh, this is what an A24 voice looks like and sounds like. And they also really stepped up their like personal branding mm -hmm. and their marketing as like a brand yep. in that time, which we now see is like very apparent in their like merch store where they mm -hmm. put out like branded merch that is some of it is related to the movie. And so you're like, great, I loved this movie. I want something for the movie. But yeah. a lot of it is just a24 like yeah. it, you are showing your brand loyalty to them as the company not to the product that they're putting out yeah i get the impression that you know they used to have this really strong independent 
pride and like independent core. You know, you want to stand behind us because we stand behind indie movies and we stand behind directors who don't get funding all the time. And we are pushing those boundaries. Whereas now they are kind of like the big guys Mm -hmm. in the room because they have the name recognition and they've built that like huge uh, presence for themselves. And so now they are almost like the capitalist on the other side that is like, I can charge you $200 for a pullover because I know you'll buy it. And like, it's just been it's been so interesting to watch that like sweet indie darling kind of turn into this like capitalist monster. And and like I said, we can we can talk more about that later. But I'm curious to see how that will affect the work going forward. And I think it already is affecting projects that they pick up. Yeah, that's so true. And like definitely impacted the way I'm sure like both of us interact with A24 products and A24 like films mm. and the way like our relationship has evolved with with the distributor. That sounds so weird, but like, you know, <laughs> um, but we didn't we didn't really have prior to A24, I don't think like uh, at least commercially, we didn't have like, a oh, I'm a Warner Brothers girl or like I'm a universal girl <laughs> like. I'm an A24 girl is totally a thing now. And so it is really interesting to kind of think back and reflect on like how they started as an indie and broke out and just this kind of like anti, you know, big distributors, film distributors, company. Mm. Here I am like doing all these like fun and interesting things. Um, And then there was, I did want to quickly mention, they're not like really indie, but like there's like neon too. And I think like, a neon yeah. girly is totally a thing now. Um, I briefly wanted to bring up like Anna Annapurna as well because like they're an indie distributor that's doing mm-hmm. not as much in film lately. I think they were popping off honestly in 2017, 20, 2018 era <laughs> a little bit more, but they have a really interesting branch under like their Annapurna interactive sector, which is like all their gaming um, products and mm. their indie gaming branch out is really really interesting to me I'm personally a big fan of that and so I think it's I think it is really cool how like indie film distributors have like identified okay there is a market out there that will really connect with the brand that they bring forward and they're finding just Mm -hmm. like really unique and interesting ways of where that is and how they can branch out um so yeah A24 was pretty cool in that sense so excited to talk about like the films that started that and really like brought that forward. So speaking of like that era, the kind of 2017, 2018 era that really kind of defined the A24 brand, um, especially at that time and like made them this recognizable entity. I feel like one of the big ones from that period was Lady Bird. Yeah. Greta Gerwig has obviously become, you know, a, a force in the industry since that. Um, she's directing the new Barbie movie, which... Yes. Uh, I have very high hopes for. (laughs) Yeah. But Lady Bird felt like a very, not like a small film, but like kind of like tight, close to people's hearts, like quote unquote small film in that sense. Yeah. But really fit into like the A24 of 2017. Definitely. I think when we say A24, there's a couple different buckets that we can identify. You know, I think like there's a very strong like horror area that Mm. A24 taps into. This is not part of that, but that's really strong for them. This is a little bit more Mm. like slice of life, which A24 is really good at doing as well. That kind of like day to day we're just kind of getting an insight into this person's life. Um, but there's a feeling to it that's very specifically like A24. And yeah, Lady Bird is one of them for sure. I think it holds on to a lot of that like indie spirit that A24 really had at the beginning. It feels like an indie movie. And I say that like affectionately. Yeah. And it doesn't appear to have the kind of trappings of like a big studio movie. Well, speaking of that indie film, having kind of an outbreak and Lady Bird being that. Um, This obviously has Timothy Chalamet in it, and this was kind of Mm -hmm. a pretty big breakout role for him and month and year for him because at the same month, Call Me By Your Name came out for for that guy, and uh, he kind of blew up from there. Um, And so I remember... Like, I think he was on Ellen or like, you know, he was doing a lot of press around these movies. But one of the things Mm -hmm. I think a lot of outlets were talking about is like,
like about Call Me By Your Name as well and Lady Bird is it feels really indie and everyone's like, oh, I love how these indie films and stories are, you know, being recognized by everyone in like a very commercial way. And yeah, you could in that in that time period in like late 2017, you could still call A24. But it's funny because like Call Me By Your Name was released by Sony Pictures Classics Mm -hmm. and like Sony, as much as you want to like Sony Pictures Classics is like a separate entity because they like also kind of have their own voice and their own vibe like sony is not an indie but they put out this movie that feels very indie Mm -hmm. um in call me by your name and yeah it's just funny that like that is the narrative that they kind of came out of when there was like a lot of money behind these these were not small quiet releases yeah i think it was really smart that they paired lady bird and call me by your name together in this way and push forward like the timminess <laughs> and capitalize on this kind of like boy that came from like you know we didn't know him but then here he is this like massive talent and whatnot when obviously he's been in the industry for such a long time but speaking of like timothy chalamet i mean Sir ronan this was a big i mean this is a big movie for for her um there's lucas hedges sure. who's also like huge in that kind of bubble of of the timmy and and the Sersha world <laughs> um totally. and then there's obviously yeah. beanie feldstein as well um who's just like so endearing in this film yeah, i feel like she does endearing quite well she also i mean she's very endearing in book smart i still really love that movie Same. i think it's hilarious and relatable and wonderful mm-hmm. and then of course beanie comes back to a24 years later with the humans Mm -hmm. so i i do like that there is you know a little bit of like resurgence for these people a little bit of like a full circle moment where some of these movies that really kind of helped launch their careers came from these early a24 moments yeah did you like this movie i did i do like lady bird there is a lot in it that people specifically latch onto and have like really deep emotional responses to that I like just didn't quite have the same really like heavy experience with. I think this is like a very emotionally vulnerable movie for a lot of people. Yeah. And I didn't connect with it on that level, but I do think it's a great film. Like I had a great time watching it. Yeah. I felt the exact same way. Yeah. I like the movie as well. I don't have anything against it. It was just that connection piece. Like, I don't think I went as deep as maybe others did, like you said. Mm. I think there were just, like, two main things that felt very separated and um, not relatable to me. And one thing was, like, setting-wise. So just completely ignoring, like, really the context of it, but just setting-wise. When I sometimes, like, when I used to visit sometimes to California during um, high school summer breaks, because I had friends there I had a bit of exposure to like western theater kids and like the kids that talk to their parents the way Ladybird does in this film mm-hmm. um drive around with their friends and smoking weed and just like living so free from their like from from like my very closeted and quiet and like shy perspective at the time Mm. and so at like totally surface level this film just felt like really foreign to me in that sense like like honest well I guess very very western to me right obviously like it makes a lot of sense because I think this was like semi-biographical I don't think it was like you know it wasn't true things that have happened to Greta Gerwig but like she said that it's semi-biographical and she's from Sacramento Sacramento California um so the film feels I think very California and all that stuff but just like the foreignness to me was just a lot more stronger than feeling relatable to what was going on yeah no that makes a lot of sense and I think that that is maybe a common experience for people who aren't white Mm -hmm. because I get the impression from like talking to my friends and like with like the jokes that are made on the internet and mm. everything that like there is this very specific kind of white person who is like that vocal free-spirited and talk back to their parents mm-hmm. like that kind of like white kid yeah that is such a foreign experience to so many people who like are like I could never speak to my mother that yeah. way she would <laughs> kick me out of the house and like yeah I, like I even watched that movie and was like oh my god like I don't <laughs> 
even yeah. like me as a white person like I was not raised to speak to my parents that way and yeah. like it does feel like you're at such an emotional remove from Ladybird in those moments because you're like you get away with this like yeah what what life are you living that you can just like <laughs> exist like this and get away with all this stuff and that this is I mean it's not like perfectly fine in the movie but like everything's yeah. kind of okay you know yeah well well speaking of that like the second big thing for me that was mm -hmm. very different which is what you just talked about is like the parents relationship that like the parents mm -hmm. and the ladybird relationship um I remember because I just like rewatched this last night and I noted this down at one point she says mom you're giving me an eating disorder Ugh, I wish I was getting an eating disorder and it was just like oh god <laughs> it made me laugh <laughs> because like like as nonchalantly and jokingly it's said and like it's absolutely something that ladybird would say um i i i understand where it's coming from and like yeah you know i i get it but i like i used to only wish i could say things like that growing up just to be like honest with my anger the way she is without any kind of fear and don't get me wrong i see a lot of fear in her a lot of you know insecurities and things that she's going through and it's coming out in different ways that I used to process it so I'm not trying to like disregard or like critique in the way she's processing that but like mm. this is just kind of like me reacting to like again I've seen a lot of western friends who were like this that just say what's on their mind swearing in front of their parents and yelling at their parents it's just like so what like white and western to me um <laughs> which is a generalization in itself for sure but like I think there's dynamics between the mom and daughter, you know, um, that's like really relatable and universal for sure. But it's just the way they communicate is so different to someone like me who had to like internalize everything. Mm -hmm. Only now am I spending like hours in therapy trying to even like say what Lady Bird just said about like, yeah. you know. Um, so, yeah, it's just it's just really, really interesting how different that was and I think that's just like the big blocker for me and in, in connecting with this relationship and also speaking of the mother-daughter relationship I, I read that like the working title for this film was mothers and daughters originally mm. um so there's a lot there that I really loved but just just different you know yeah. I'm curious what you think about how this fits within this era because i mean we're going to talk a little bit about the florida project as well which is also very much of this time you know if you're looking at ladybird the florida project killing of a sacred deer good time from the safty brothers ghost story which i really enjoyed those are all so white and like mm -hmm. that seems to be not necessarily like by design but it's it seems to be kind of unconsciously the thing that they were gravitating towards is these like mm. stories that really center whiteness almost without thinking about it and without questioning it right. um and so just thinking about how like you know the the character of ladybird and the relationships in this movie feel kind of foreign because they are attached to this like white california teen that like is living a very specific kind of life that is not relatable to people who right. like don't have that experience or is like it's it's very specific in in its relatability do you find that like with some of these other movies from the same time that there are some of those same issues because they are like so centered around whiteness yes <laughs> say it <laughs> it's a <laughs> it's a really good question because i think to be really just frank like there's a lot of also like internalized racism that mm. I've been like I've been on a journey with that moving from Japan to here and the exposure that I had to very white and western friends and communities people growing up in the way I like learned English for example and I partially bring this up because I saw that kind of canon of films that A24 was putting out and not to go back to like marketing and branding but this was one of the films that I think really like they had specific merch for this mm -hmm. film um i i think they also i remember they created like specific char character specific twitter accounts and stuff for for this movie right and it makes sense but some of the jokes some of the context to it was like you said very white and western and to me like that was that was the thing that i kind of had to adjust to or 
or kind of taken as something that's cool and mm. like that's the cool like indie club that right. you know maybe you want to like be a part of and I cer- I certainly did at at the time like I was like this is the kind of stuff I saw in like LA when I did visit when I was like in mm-hmm. high school these are the things that theater kids were doing you know in California and stuff and they were the cool kids that were like that was like smoking weed and saying all this shit in front of the, in front of their parents like I was like man and you have to what- like be like that to fit in with yeah. this like this kind of coolness so at the time I mean going back very very long weird like answer to your question I'm sorry I'm like rambling now no don't apologize um, back to your question did I feel that through these films this kind of separation not really because I was trying to just fit in into these Mm. stories and find myself in these stories and because I knew that it was really cool yeah I was like pushing myself into these stories that make really no sense to me so um but yeah that's only me like reacting years later right Right. Well, and and that also makes me wonder because of the timing and because of like who we were in 2017 and specifically like for people our age, mm. that is still a formative time in your life. Like mm-hmm. you're you're like a young adult and you're figuring out who you are and um, exploring all of these things. And I wonder like if we had been older in 2017 mm. and we were looking at this like slate of movies and, and thinking yeah. about them, you know, the way we are now as like a set of work would that be a more obvious pattern would that be like a more obvious question to say like wow this is like you know I'm I'm watching all these movies and I'm not thinking about them as part of this bigger whole but when you put them together like that like that's a whole bunch of like white stories and and to be fair like they are telling different kinds of white stories like the mm-hmm. the story yep. and the family and ladybird are in a very different position than family in the florida project and like it's not one narrative but it is i guess i just wonder like it's it's really interesting that you say that like when you when you were you in 2017 mm-hmm. you were seeing it as like this is the thing i need to fit into this is like the way mm-hmm. i need to be to be part of this because you were in such a formative time if this was mm-hmm. like you know 20 years later and you're that much older, is that still part of the equation? Does it still like bring up these feelings? Or I know that you've like worked, as you've mentioned, you've like worked mm-hmm, through mm-hmm. some of that stuff and is like, is it now a more objective like, oh, wow, I can look at this and just see like a whole bunch of white art. I mean, I, I still appreciate them. I think I, <laughs> this is such a strange thing to bring up, maybe at this particular moment in time. But like, remember how I was telling you, um, the relationship, the way it evolved for me with A24 is kind of like the Avril Lavigne albums. Yes. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to bring it up now. I love it this. This is fe- such a good ex- explanation. <laughs> it kind of feels like for anyone who loved Avril Lavigne, you know, I was a fan of the Let Go album and Under My Skin, and that mm-hmm. was kind of a very specific era. And then when she came out with Best Damn Thing, was I think that was what it was called. I think that was, yeah. It kind of felt like not only was there a visual tonal evolved change direction thing that we saw in Avril but you were also growing up as well so we Mm. just went in different paths different directions and that's okay like I wasn't really mad about it I mean um was I at the time kind of but like it's kind of like part of growing up you're moving on to different things you learn different things about yourself and you're like okay loved my emo like wearing all black with like a red tie and skull stuff like (laughs) love that moment for me really really like latched onto that but like I'm moving on to other things that's Mm. how I feel about A24 and like the kind of films that they've put out and with reflecting back to like something like eighth grade or like you know Lady Bird and as you said like Florida Projects and things I I I really appreciated them I still do I love I love these films so it's just me growing up and moving on to different different things that I am drawn Mm. to now (laughs) yeah yeah no that that makes a lot of sense thank you for sharing that and thank you for indulging me (laughs) in my questions oh my god yeah no that was yeah that was a really good question thank you for asking (laughs) I didn't I didn't realize this is really cool to be reflecting on like movies that you really enjoyed and like it's just kind of like a different Anna that's consuming this now and yeah seeing it in different ways either like trying to relate or accepting that you're not trying to relate in different ways yeah so please tell me how you feel about the Florida project I'm really curious what your opinion is on it yeah I 
I loved Florida Project. First of all, just from like a visual sense, it's Mm -hmm. a gritty film and yet it is so beautiful to look at. Just Mm -hmm. the color scheme of it. And I remember just the poster variations that they had for this film. They're all so beautiful. I would love to have it on like my wall in my room. And it's something that really pops up. Um, So visually, just beautiful. Even though Willem Dafoe is not like, I don't think that he's necessarily like central to this film. There are so many like wonderful characters that we get to, to meet, interesting journeys that we get to see in the variety of people that we meet through, mm-hmm. this, through this film. I still, I, I really, really enjoyed Willem Dafoe in this. Um, he is so endearing in this movie. Yeah. Like, there is something about his character that you just see all of the <laughs> shit that he goes through every day. Yeah. And yet he has, like, so much care in his heart and so much, like, compassion for these people. Yeah, he just, he plays that so honestly and and very, like, it's not flashy. It's not showy. Yeah. He's not, like, putting anything on. It just feels like such a natural performance and such a caring performance. Yeah. And, yeah, I actually, like, didn't even realize going into this movie that he was in mm-hmm. it. And I just like adored him the entire time and i'm totally with you on the um like the visual element of this film the aesthetics of it john baker there is something about his filmmaking that i really connect with on a visual level and it's interesting he actually worked with different cinematographers for this and red rocket Mm -hmm. but i feel like there is a common like visual thread between those movies and i guess like probably comes from Sean since he's yeah. the director of both that is so honest it's not like glamming up these places because both of those movies take place in like a less affluent like tucked away side of society and so they're not like glamorized but it is showing you the color it's showing you the beauty it's showing you the like the way that the people who live in these places see it as opposed to like if you were just like passing through and you were like, wow, this is like this doesn't look like the America that I'm used to or mm-hmm. this doesn't look like, you know, pretty like my whatever. It He finds a way to show you like a truth, but a really beautiful truth. Yeah, I, I actually the more I think about it, the more I think that Don Baker is a really interesting reflection of the quote unquote A24 brand, because I think that there is an element to a24 that is trying to tell these like kind of disenfranchised stories mm-hmm. and is not necessarily interested in the like big blockbuster style movie it's it's interested in these like quieter personal more like internal struggles mm-hmm. um which i think sean baker does really well but then it's still like he makes these movies that it is so easy to like make aesthetic merch and like aesthetic yes. things for yeah like if you think about the marketing campaign and the merch and stuff that they did for red rocket was like so visual and it was so focused on like simon rex and the big donut yeah yeah um that is like he creates these iconic visual moments and these like really easily manipulated into like marketing materials and this like big splashy campaign but the movie still has that like heart of like you are getting to uh, a really personal moment with these flawed characters who are in really tough situations and you can like he can hold both of those things at the same time mm-hmm. which feels like one of the things that a24 is also really good at doing is like yeah. holding both of those elements in the same space that's a really good point yeah speaking of red rocket what did you think of that one because it is i mean it, it really follows sean baker's like body of work i think it yeah. fits in really well i think it it has a lot of the same elements as the Florida Project, but it is still like uh, a very interesting, like somewhat controversial movie. Yeah. First impression when I read the synopsis of it, and also, I mean, the the lead is Simon Rex, which, I mean, I haven't seen him in so long. Like, yeah, my <laughs> image of him is like all the scary movie films. <laughs> really different vibe. Yeah, very, very different. And so... My first impression was like, why would I check this out? But I was also mm. drawn that it was I, I was drawn drawn in from like the the Sean yeah. Baker world that I really enjoyed from the Florida Project. So I remember I checked it out and I actually I really, really enjoyed it. It was whack. <laughs> like 
it deals with a lot of really interesting things that I did not think I'd digest very well. Um, Mm. I was also just concerned about just the storyline around Strawberry, played by Susanna Sun. I thought she was fantastic in this movie. I was very drawn to that character. But there's a lot of things that happened in this film that made me want to sink into my chair and disappear. But there was also something that I think Sean Baker did a really good job of in The Florida Project 2, where you find characters to be really endearing, even when the situation is so gritty and and so messy. Yeah, I, I really liked it. I was actually surprised by how much I liked it same (laughs) um it's it's so like you just get so swept up in the world and in the characters and it's it's one of those movies that is almost like a train wreck where you're like I can't look away from this because yeah like everything that's happening is such a disaster for all of these people yeah and I think that's like one of the things that is so entertaining about it is that it's like so far removed from our lives Mm -hmm. that we can kind of sit back and watch and be like oh my god I can't believe what is happening yeah but yeah I I had a great time I also think that one of the things that works really well specifically for Sean and like for his movies and and for creating that like indie sensibility of them Mm -hmm. is that he often will cast non-actors for a lot of the supporting roles yep like I remember one of the standouts from this movie particularly is uh brenda deese or dice mm-hmm. um who plays lil um who's the like the mother of his ex-girlfriend on and off girlfriend lexi and he's like staying in their house she's she's this character that you recognize right away and she has clearly got so much going on yeah <laughs> but she also feels like so planted in that world like she is so yeah. firmly an occupant of this space and yeah. that's because she like actually lives in this part of texas that they filmed in Mm -hmm. she is like not a professional actor she didn't like she wasn't brought in with the rest of the cast like it's just i don't know there's something so grounding about the way that he uses locals non-actors to fill the space which i think contributes so much to that feeling of like you are just being yeah like dropped into someone's world and you get this slice of life i think these his movies fit really well into that same kind of bucket that you were talking about with ladybird mm-hmm. um that is the like slice of life sort of exist in someone's world for a short period of time kind of movie yeah <laughs> how do you get into high life <laughs> i was just thinking <laughs> we're I guess I mean we're we're kind of going in chronological order with the year. So High Life is 2018. I don't even know how to preamble for this one because if anyone who's seen High Life like how do you how do you ease into talking about this? It's so weird. It's so weird. I guess like this is it's like maybe adjacent to the like horror bucket that Mm -hmm. we haven't really talked a lot about um i feel like you know you have your obvious like your ari asters and your robert eggers and stuff like that that like really form the a24 horror bucket and then this is kind of like a weird offshoot yeah yeah and then there's claire denis who's like hello (laughs) (laughs) bringing you i'm gonna make my weird ass movie (laughs) yeah here's a space horror for you um yeah Mm -hmm. and especially since like mia goth is in it knowing you know there's like the pearl and the x you know now she is this like a24 scream queen yeah this is this is where it came from (laughs) (laughs) i kind of love that this is her a24 scream queen origin story yeah yeah thoughts on this movie (laughs) like my first thought is that it's such an interesting cast like i would not have expected i mean robert pattinson does do some strange things Mm -hmm. um and Juliette Binoche has always been kind of experimental in her choices, which I really respect. But to like put the two of them together in this really weird, like I can't imagine someone getting this script and reading it through and not having so many questions. Yeah. I think Claire Denis was like a big draw, I'm sure, in deciding, for right? Sure. Like taking part in yeah. this project. And And speaking of like casting, only now do we know, I mean... Like, Rob, since then, has done a lot. Obviously, he's Robert Pattinson. Mm -hmm. But, like, going back to some of the movies we talked about, like, with Timmy, Lucas Hedges, Beanie, Saoirse, um, and then, like, Mia Goth in this one, like, 
A24 really was pulling these cast members who were sort of known or known not at all, but then they're mm. all massive now. They're so commercial. Yeah, and then there's also like <laughs> Andre 3000 from Outcast oh, no. is in this movie, and I'm just like, okay, yeah, why? Of course that makes why sense not? to throw <laughs> into this. <laughs> So um, one of, I was like, I never actually looked through like the letterbox like reviews of this movie and I was just like scrolling through them. And yeah, one of the things that was written out was like, Claire Denis watching Interstellar. Hmm. Yes. But where is the cum? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I think there were so many, like, if, if you've seen it, you'll get it. This is not really a spoiler because how can you possibly like spoil this movie in any way even if you talk about it? But there was a lot of people like bringing Interstellar as part of the review conversation and like the sex box and the cum was definitely something that kept coming up. And I was like, this movie is truly bizarre. Yeah, this is one of the first movies that I saw as like, I am going to consciously like push my boundaries a little bit and explore Mm. stuff that feels a little bit more experimental, feels a little bit less like part of the mainstream and part of the like kind of movie that I usually watch. Because I actually went and saw this in the theaters and this was like early-ish in my like coming to film as a like film person Mm -hmm. journey. And I remember walking out of it and I was like, I I was so taken aback. And so like, is this what I'm getting myself into with like... (laughs) trying new things and like it was so unexpected it was so off the wall um and I appreciated that about it but I was also just like because it wasn't something that I had encountered a lot of yet in my like film journey it almost like scared me off a little bit Mm -hmm. I was like oh do I just if I just like walk into a random movie I might get that a weird (laughs) even know how to describe it like yeah a weird space sex yeah like what i can't even finish that (laughs) sentence i literally don't know how to finish describing this movie yeah i feel like i'm mostly me i've thrown people who have never heard of high life or know about high life by me saying like by us saying like space and sex and this like sex box and (laughs) come is like okay very very much throwing people in the deep end but um i was thinking back when i was kind of skimming through like just trying to remember some of the things from the movie because it was just all a blur. We saw Biosphere during TIFF this year. Yeah. And obviously a really different movie, but it crossed my mind as another as like another film that's like set in this confined space and people mm-hmm. surviving some kind of doom. And I really I really do enjoy that kind of like setting and approach to examining human endurance and yeah. getting to see how far people will go to survive um and in this case in this film like actually no I'm not even gonna just try to explain that (laughs) like and and I think filmmakers really have uh interesting creative fun time to push the boundaries of exploring those themes and we saw that in like biosphere so that's why it like crossed my mind and this movie I think it's easily perceived as like okay film people being super pretentious by saying they really enjoyed this movie, you know, that's the kind of energy yeah. I get if I talk about like <laughs> that I that I love this film. I don't know if I would describe it as I loved this. Like it's so yeah. weird. And did I understand any of it? Not really. Um, but I was drawn to this kind of examining how people behave in this absolutely bizarre environment and space and Claire Mm. taking this very unique and twisted (laughs) approach to that um Mm. yeah yeah I I do agree like when you lay it out that way I agree that I like that kind of movie as well that's it's a very human problem and a very real examination of like what is going on in our heads no matter how like extreme the external circumstances are it's still like it's so based in like how do humans react and like Mm -hmm. what is inside us and I do really appreciate that I I think that like there are so many different directions that you can take that kind of story and like Claire just takes it in like such a specific like far left field (laughs) offshoot that is I mean yeah it's like very entertaining and I think that it does fit into the kind of like we're gonna try something really different we're gonna try like pushing these boundaries a little bit yeah 
the movies that came out kind of around this, there is some of that. Like, this is the same year as Climax came out, which is another movie that is just, like, so fucking weird. (laughs) And, like, it's another one of those that's, like, it's examining people Mm -hmm. and, like, the human reaction to, like, extenuating circumstances Mm -hmm. in the, like, most extreme screwed up way yeah and that's just i don't know such an interesting concept to like put out multiple movies in the same sort of time span on that same kind of idea because it's so specific and it's so like i think it could be really alienating for viewers Mm -hmm. i think this is a very divisive movie and um you see that in like some of the reviews and some of the like i'm gonna make a joke about this because i don't want to actually acknowledge how weird this was yeah But I also think that, like, yeah, like, just because you're exploring it through these, like, maybe very extreme um, circumstances and, like, extreme, like, genre conventions, there is something, like, so deeply human at the core of it Mm -hmm. that, like, ties it back into the rest of the canon. Yeah. It definitely works within the the horror bucket, um, like you said at the beginning. Like, um, and this is... A24 being really good at making the human elements and the experiences at the forefront and using horror as a tool to really like push that, Um, which horror is a lot of that as we kind of talked about and did a deep dive of in our horror episode during Halloween. But like, um, yeah, I think this is like around the same time as when I started kind of tiptoeing a little bit deeper into the horror genre because I was like, oh, Mm that's a really interesting way to examine the way people think or the way, you know, it's like all the what ifs that people think about visualized. Hmm. And a lot of the times horror does visualize that in a very real extreme way, but it's still somehow like you resonate with it. It's so weird. (laughs) And it's so weird to like admit that as well. But yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, the more I think about this, the more that I think, this actually fits in with the canon with like Midsommar really well too because that is also like it's how is this person responding to their grief Mm -hmm. and which is like super internal yeah through this like wild like Midsommar festival that is again like not something that you or I have ever experienced as far as I know (laughs) (laughs) um and it's like such an unfamiliar and like almost like pressure cooker external circumstance Mm -hmm. in the same way that high life is. Yeah. But you're really like reflecting on the internal of the human. Yeah. That's, that is a through line that I hadn't put together before between like so many of these films that are like kind of in that horror space Mm -hmm. from this Mm -hmm. time period from them. Yeah. I wonder what was going on with like the people who were acquiring films at A24 in this moment and like if they were going through some shit because that is (laughs) some heavy duty uh, internal exploration through like very unsettling circumstances. Yeah. I really, uh, I really appreciate them (laughs) (laughs) because I think this is when I started kind of thinking, maybe I am into horror. (laughs) Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. because it's just such a cool way to pull out something that you said, like you said, is so internal, but externalized in a way that's like not relatable at all. It's outer space. It's like at a festival, like summer festival in where? Sweden? Anyway, um, can I just tell like a really quick story that I had about high life and helping absolutely promoting it yeah <laughs> so this was like the time when I was working in the film industry and I was like helping out with this with this film and around then so Apollo, Apollo 11 this documentary by Todd Douglas Miller um this came out in 2019 and I just realized in Canada I think high life came out in 2019 um yeah I think it did yeah rest of the world it was 2018 I think um but and this documentary, Apollo 11, I thought it was beautiful. If you haven't seen it, it's it's gorgeous. Um, anyway, I, I helped promote Apollo 11 um, prior to jumping on High Life. And I reached out to, like, a bunch of space nerds across Canada to invite them to this, like, advanced screening. They were so, so excited to see it um, since the film was bringing, like, never-before-seen footage to the public. And, like, I wasn't attached to the content of it, but just hearing and connecting with this community, I was like, like, this is so endearing. I'm so happy that I get to, like, help 
provide this moment for these like space fans. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But then this was a time when Captain Marvel came out and they needed more theater space. So the screening for our lovely space nerds, it got canceled because no. of Captain Marvel. And I was so pissed off, not only because I worked, I was working so hard to like fill these screenings with all these people, but I already, like, I already hated Marvel for like dominating the film scene. But the fact that like a film that was gonna make so much money regardless to push out these like space enthusiasts, um, yeah. like moment made me so, so sad. So anyway, I promise I'm coming back to High Life. Um, <laughs> High Life actually, yeah, so came out in 2019. Um, so Apollo 11, I was working on all of that. And we knew that there was going to be another space movie. That's all we knew coming out with Rob. Um, and I was like, oh, my God, like, we should at least give free movies to these space fans. <laughs> um, oh, no. Luckily... I got to see the movie before we promoted it. Like, sometimes we get to mm. see them, sometimes we don't. Um, but this one, we got to see the movie before we started reaching out to people. And, oh my goodness, I would have been so embarrassed to share this film with them. Luckily, I that did not happen. But when I found out what High Life is about, I was like... I dodged a bullet. Imagine like- <laughs> bringing all of these people in who were, like, expecting the Apollo 11 experience. Yeah. And instead you get high life. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is a group of communities that were, like, young engineers and school. And then, like, you know, like, the space community, um, like, in Calgary mm-hmm. and stuff. Just imagine high life being provided to them. <laughs> I would have been so, so embarrassed. But anyway, that was just, like, kind of a cute sidetrack, like, endearing space community connection that I had. But, like, dodging a very big mistake that I could have made. <laughs> So, oh my god, for, the things yeah. that could happen in the film industry is like you are always one step away from a truly disastrous moment. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so this conversation is going on, I think, a lot longer than either of us expected it to. Um, clearly, we have a lot of thoughts and feelings about A24 that we just needed to work out. Um, so, why don't we take a break here and come back next week for part two and just like pick up right where we left off yeah (laughs) it's funny because i thought that we were doing pretty well on time but um yeah (laughs) apparently (laughs) not so much (laughs) (laughs) yeah the hour is flying by so catch us next next week (laughs) yeah we'll do we'll do a special um we'll do a special timeline and bring you two weeks in a row of popcorn martini soup if you have any thoughts in the meantime you know where to find us email popcornmartinisoup at gmail.com or on Instagram at popcornmartinisoup. And otherwise, yeah, tune in next week for a lot more A24 thoughts and feelings. (laughs) Yep. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.